Now, before I open up in prayer, um, let me say a quick word. Uh, There are some religious leaders in our country who are encouraging us this morning to pray for our government, specifically uh, for our president. Um, And let me make a comment here just for a moment. I know in this room right now, there are huge fans of our president, and there are people who aren't huge fans of our president. I'm not getting into that. This is not a place of politics. This is not a place about American government. This is a place of worship for God, okay? Now, biblically, while we are called to pray for our leadership, we're called to pray for our leadership to follow God. And so that's what we will pray for this morning, is not for a specific direction or a specific blessing over some specific person, We are going to pray for God's will in our government, not our will in our government. I'm kind of getting on my high horse, but guys, First Southern will not be a place of politics. This is not God's will. It is not God's word for us to be a place of politics. We are a place of God. And no matter whether the United States as a whole, decides to follow God or not, we will continue to follow God because our dedication and our devotion and our alliance are not to the United States government first. They are first to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's what we will pray for this morning. So will you join me as we pray for those biblical aspects of government? Almighty God, we thank you that we live in a government, in a country where we have the freedom to come into this place and worship you. And Lord, we are so thankful for those freedoms. Lord, we are so praiseworthy. You are so praiseworthy for giving us those freedoms. And Lord, we pray right now that those freedoms would continue. Uh, We like the fact that we can come here and we don't have to worry about the police barging in and arresting us for worshiping our Lord and Savior. So we do pray that you would protect our religious freedoms, that you would continue to allow us to have the freedom to come here and worship you. And Lord, in that we pray that you would lead us as a people. As your people, the people of God, those chosen to follow you, we pray that you would help us to listen to your direction. Lord, whether it's in politics, whether it's in our personal lives, no matter where it is, we pray that you would help us to listen to you, to your guidance and your direction. We pray that you would direct the leadership of our country. We pray for our president. We pray for the Supreme Court. We pray for the leaders of Congress, for both in the Senate and the House. And we pray that they would hear your word. Lord, that their lives would be changed, their hearts would be drawn and changed by you. That you would do a mighty work. Lord, we pray for revival in this country. Lord, we pray for a movement of the Holy Spirit, the likes of which our generation has never seen. That the lost would be saved. That those who are far from you would be drawn closer to you. And that those who are close to you would grow in you all the more. So Lord, we pray for our leadership. That you would direct them. 
Lord, we pray 1 Corinthians 13 over them. We pray, Lord, that rather than rejoicing in wrongdoing, they would rejoice in the truth. And so, Lord, that's what we pray over our leadership, that you would help them to no longer rejoice in wrongdoing, but you would help them to rejoice in your truth, the truth that is applying to all times, to all cultures, to all nations, tribes, and tongues, the people would come to know you because of your truth. And Lord, we pray for your will, not our will to be done. We pray, Lord, that no matter what happens in this country, no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in our lives, that we would continue to follow you. And that we would follow your call to lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we thank you again for this amazing chance. We are grateful that we don't live in a place where we're persecuted. We're thankful that we have this freedom. And, Lord, we pray for those who live in countries that don't have this freedom. We pray for those in places like China and India and Iran, where to simply state being a Christian would have you arrested and killed. Lord, we thank you for this freedom, but we pray for those who don't have it. And we pray that we would be the light of the world, shining the life-changing hope of Jesus to all that we are around. Let this church, let First Southern be a beacon of hope in the name of Jesus. We thank you again, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, begin this morning with taking our Bibles, our apps, whatever we read God's Word on. And I want you to turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the back of the pews. Feel free to grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible at home, take one of those Bibles out of the back of the pew at the end of the service. Tuck that under your arm and walk out the door with it. We want every person to have a Bible in their home that they can read and reference and study from. Uh, So if you don't have a Bible at home, please take one of those with you and let that be our gift to you this morning. For the first time in years, she truly felt hope. She she looked down at her dinner table as her kids were eating their food. And she thought back to just a few months back when there wasn't any food to put on the table. She had to watch as her children suffered. As her children grew hungrier and hungrier. And there's nothing she could do about it. She remembers a time when her children would sit down with the little bit of food that they did have and they would walk away from that table hungry. But that wasn't what she saw today. She looks at the table and there's food. And she has hope in her heart. But at the same time, she also sees the empty chair at the table. She sees that place where he usually sits and he's not there. And she thinks how ironic it is that the reason he's not there is because of their own stupidity. 
The reason that he's not there, for lack of a better way to say it, is a consequence of the poor decisions that they have made. It's a result of their loyalty being to someone that they shouldn't have been loyal to. And as she thinks about that, she looks up on the shelf and she sees the two clear spaces where the rest of the shelf is dust. Two empty places where something sat and collected the dust and is now gone. And she smiles at that. She's glad those two pieces are gone from her home. There are consequences to having had them there. You know, some of the people around her, some of her neighbors, were not too sure about the direction that their country, their their city, their little town was going. But she felt hope. She felt like this was the right direction. Finally, after all of these years... She knew that this was the decision that should have been made a long time ago. She smiles. She's happy. Because, again, for the first time, there's hope. She felt true hope. Because she knew that the loyalty that they had was going in the right direction. And she knew that not too long from now, that empty chair was going to be filled again. Today, we're looking at the life of the Israelites during the days of the judges. Uh, Let me give you a recap of where we've been so far. We've been through the book of Genesis, where we talked about Adam and Eve and creation and Noah uh, and what God did through Noah and his family. Then we moved into a man named Abraham, Abraham's son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob. We talked about Jacob and how he had 12 sons and, and how the end of the book of Genesis actually focuses on one of his sons named Joseph. And we spoke about how God moved through Joseph and basically saved the entire Israelite nation through one man. And then we spoke about Moses in the book of Exodus. And if you were to continue reading through uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, you would go through Genesis and Exodus and then you'd get to Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and he tells the story of the Israelite people traveling away from Egypt uh, and taking a long journey because of some decisions they had made to find themselves in the promised land that God had directed them to. And then we go into the book of Joshua, where we find that Joshua is called to lead the people into the promised land and to take it as their own. And then after Joshua, there comes a series of what the Bible calls judges. Uh, The Israelites didn't have a king in this time. Uh, They saw God as their king sometimes. And they would appoint for themselves or God would appoint a judge to help make decisions for the country in the name of God. And God would speak through this judge And we see a pattern begin in the book of Judges. We see a pattern of where the Israelites are following God and they're on a high point. God is blessing them and doing great things in them. And then a few generations later, they turn away from God and things start getting bad. God brings a people in. And guys, if you read the book of Judges, it very clearly states that God would specifically send a people to persecute the Israelite people, because they had turned away from God. 
And so they would hit a low point, and then in that low point, they would suddenly go, oh man, we got to turn back to God. And they would cry out to him, and God would send a judge to kick that uh, persecuting people out of the country, and they would start worshiping God again and be blessed, and they would hit this high point. And then a few generations, they would start the cycle all over again. And so they go through this. If you read the book of Judges, it looks like a roller coaster. They do this over and over and over again. And in Judges 6, we get to the point where we come to the judge named Gideon. So that's what we're talking about this morning. I want you to take your Bibles and look with me at Judges 6, verse 1. Judges 6, verse 1. And it says this. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped in the land, they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land." I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Whew, that's heavy, right? They have turned their backs on following God. And they have turned to worshiping the void idols of the people around them. The, the Amorites specifically is what is listed here in verse 10. And God is a jealous God, right? According to the Old Testament, he's jealous. He doesn't want to share his glory with any false god. And so he sends these Midianites. So think back to my little introduction. They went seven years. Imagine living in a country. Imagine living in the United States And imagine for a moment that Canada came and invaded us every year. That's really hard to imagine, isn't it? (laughs) But imagine that some foreign country comes in and invades year after year after year and wipes out every crop, kills every cow, every pig, every chicken, and leaves us nothing. That's what the Israelites were going through. They were going through a time when the people around them, specifically the Midianites, were coming in and were just devastating, destroying everything. The people were starving. The people had no means to to take care of themselves. 
It says that they were so afraid of the Midianites that they would go and hide in the clefts, the caves, the the strongholds of the mountains. Now, if you've been to Israel, you know that the parts that they're talking about are the parts of the mountains that are rocky, that don't have great crops. They didn't go there to produce crops. They went there to hide out of fear. And so God sends a prophet to the, Midi, or to the Israelites because the Israelites, after seven years, finally go, oh, maybe we should turn to our God, the God that has protected us in the past. And God sends this prophet and gives them a message, basically saying, the reason the Midianites are here are because you are worshiping all these other gods. The thing I told you not to do. So, God sometimes sends difficulties to us, doesn't he? I know that some of you, let's rephrase that, I know most of you in this room are currently or have recently gone through a difficult time. And there are lots of reasons for difficult times. Uh, Let me be clear, sometimes our difficulties are simply because sin messes our life up. Sometimes the difficult things that we go through have nothing to do with God punishing us or trying to correct our course. It's simply sin. Our neighbors, we, everyone around us sin regularly and that sin, the effects ripple out into the world around us and we get hit with the shock waves of the effects of sin. Sometimes our difficulties have nothing to do with our decisions. But sometimes our difficulties are actually a test from God. Go and look at the book of Job one of these days. Job is about a righteous, godly man. He did everything that God called him to do. He worshipped correctly. His, His philosophy of life was in line with God. And yet God put him through difficulty as a test. And ultimately... A way to glorify his name because how many of us in this room have been positively affected in our faith because we've studied the book of Job. And so sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's God testing us. And that testing ultimately is so that we can grow in our faith. That's the point of God testing. When you were back in high school, why did a teacher give you a test? To make sure that you studied, that you learned the material, right? Well, sometimes God tests us to make sure that we don't get stagnant in our faith, but we continue to grow. But today, I'm going to speak about a specific type of difficulty that comes in our life. And it's not just the ripple effects of sin. It's not God testing us. Sometimes God brings difficulty because it's a consequence of our own decisions. And so here's my big idea for today. Here's that statement that I want you to remember this week, and it's this. God may rearrange to bring life change. God may rearrange to bring life change. In other words, sometimes the rearrangement of our lives, the difficulties that come along, sometimes those are specifically given to us to change our lives, to bring our lives closer to God again. So look at the life of Gideon. Uh, I'll talk about Gideon a little more. We haven't actually met Gideon yet in in, uh, Judges 6, 1 through 10. But Gideon comes along. God sends him 
to go do a task. And the point of Gideon being sent is to turn the people back to God, to change their lives, to redeem the brokenness that they have experienced up to this point. It wasn't to punish, it was to grow. The point was not to say, you've been a bad nation, smack. That wasn't the point. The point for God sending the Midianites was to get their attention and say, come back to me. Sometimes God's going to rearrange. He's going to bring difficulties so that he can bring you the life change. Let's be honest with ourselves. We are stubborn people, aren't we? We are, every single one of us. And you may be going, oh, I'm not stubborn. You're probably the most stubborn in this room. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, is that because of our sin nature, because we're people, we are stubborn. And sometimes God's speaking through his word because of our stubbornness, we don't listen. And sometimes because of our stubbornness and our, our lack of listening to God, sometimes God has to kick us in the rear sometimes, doesn't he? And it doesn't feel good, and it's not pleasant, but he sure does get our attention, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And that's the point. God's not a God that wants to sit up in heaven and wait for a point to throw lightning down on us and shock us and hurt us. That's not God's purpose. God's purpose when he brings difficulty is to change our lives, to redeem, to bring us to the place that he wants us to be at. Now... I think when we look at Gideon, we see two areas that God brings life change. He brings it to us as an individual, and he brings it to us as a church, as a body of Christ. Look at the life of Gideon. If you keep reading chapter 6 and 7 and 8, you're going to read about how God sends an angel to speak to Gideon, and he sends him and tells him what to do, and Gideon doubts, and God sends him signs to prove that he actually is God and that he has actually sent him uh, to go do these works. And he doesn't just change the nation of Israel through Gideon. He actually changes Gideon himself. Gideon doesn't end up being the same man in chapter 8 that he was in chapter 6. He becomes a totally changed, godly man because of the work that God does in and through him. So let's think about this for a second. As an individual, in our own personal lives... Sometimes when our lives are not in line with God, sometimes he's going to bring difficulties. Because sometimes when we're not in line with God, that's when we're the most stubborn. And so God has to send that little kick to the rear to get our attention and make us think, oh wait, why is this happening? Is this because I'm not following God or is this a consequence of a decision I've made? And it makes us stop and think. When we're comfortable and life is good, do we evaluate as much as when life is hard? No. When things get difficult, that's when we generally stop and go, oh, what's going on? I need to look at this. I need to figure it out. I need to find out why this is happening. So sometimes difficulty comes to simply get our attention Then, sometimes, as a church, God may send difficulty. As a congregation, as a body of Christ. In Gideon's case, it was the entire people of Israel. That was God's church back then. And so he sends Gideon, because of the Midianites, 
to get the people's attention. Because notice, what does God do with Gideon? If you know the story of Gideon, brings the difficulty through the Midianites. He sends Gideon out, and Gideon ends up doing a pretty miraculous work through the power of God. He goes and conquers the Midianites and a handful of other foreign groups with just 300 men. It says when Gideon and his army looked down into the valley, they said they couldn't even count because they were like the sand on the seashore, the number of foreign warriors that had come to invade and attack Gideon. And Gideon attacks them with 300 and beat them. He did a miracle through Gideon. And the people of Israel turned back to God. That's the point, is that we as a people focus on him a lot of it is about realigning who we are with God's alignment and what he wants for our lives so here's the question there are multiple reasons why difficult times come into our lives we've talked about that sin simply affects our life we've talked about how um, sometimes God is testing us and sometimes God is trying to get our attention because we're not following him Those are the three main reasons why difficulty may come in our lives. So how should we respond in difficult times? Well, if you read verse 6, the first thing we're supposed to do is turn to God. If you go back and read verse 6, what does it say happens? The Israelites cry out to God, don't they? And in their crying out to God, God hears them. In other words, they turn their their focus, their attention back on Him. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So our first response when we go through difficulty is to turn to the Lord. No matter what the cause is, whether it's sin, whether it's God's testing, or whether it's our bad decisions, we should always turn to the Lord in difficult times. The second thing that we should do is we should let the Holy Spirit speak to us. So if you read 7 through 10, verses 7 through 10 in chapter 6, that's where God sends the prophet. And the prophet speaks to them and reveals why the Midianites have been sent to them. Now, I doubt, it doesn't happen often, I doubt that in your difficult time when you turn to God, that God's going to specifically send a prophet to you and say, this is what the Lord says to you. He might, I don't know. But more often than not, God speaks to our hearts through His Word and through the Holy Spirit. And so when we turn to God, we also need to stop and listen to God through His Holy Spirit. The third response is that if it's revealed that we are not following God in some area and that's the reason for our difficulty, we need to turn away from whatever it is that we've been doing and turn back to God. What the Bible calls repentance. We see the wrong direction that we're going, we stop, and we turn the other way towards God's direction, right? So we turn to God, we listen to God's word in our life, and then we repent. We turn away from whatever ungodly direction that we're going. And then lastly, we let God handle the details. Sometimes you have to let go of the difficulty and the control you feel you need to have in that area... And you need to let God handle the details. When Gideon comes out with his army to face these Midianites and Amorites and all these people. And they're like the sand on the shore. And there's too many to even count. Gideon actually had several thousand men with him. And God, what did God tell him? You've got too many guys with you. 
I need to pare this down. And he pares it down to 300. You know why? Because God wanted to handle the situation so that there would be no doubt that it was God who had the victory. Because if Gideon went against these men with, th- with a few thousand men, he could have, or the Israelite people could have claimed that they did it themselves. The point is that God wanted the people to say, this was not us, this was God. Sometimes in your circumstances, you need to ask God, am I supposed to just let this go and let you handle it and just live the life that you're calling me to live in prayer and studying your word and being part of the body of Christ? What are you calling me to do? And let God direct you. So God uses difficulties to get our attention. I think the question this morning is this. What is he trying to tell you? Jesus Christ died on a cross to save each and every one of us from our sins. And that was an an attention getter. He died on the cross because there was no other way, first off, to do it. But also, he wanted us to know the love that he has for each and every one of us. He sent his one and only son to shed his blood for our forgiveness. And he wants your attention on that. So what is he trying to tell you in this moment? What redemption, what salvation is he trying to show to you today? Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that sometimes you're willing to gently get our attention. That you don't just let us go and destroy ourselves over and over. Sometimes you're more than willing to say, pay attention to me. And Lord, I pray that if any of us here today are now or in the future going to deal with the difficulty that comes about because we have turned from you, I pray that you would get our attention and that ultimately it would be for our redemption and your glory. Lord, that you would change our lives for you. So Lord, we thank you again. We praise you for your salvation and we thank you for all that you've done in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.